Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. In Paris in 2010, uh, a branch of the French bank uh, Credit Lyonnais was, going, uh, was undergoing renovations. One day, a great fire broke out, and when they came to the scene, they noticed that 200 of the safety deposit box had been broken into. About $34 million worth of possessions was stolen. That equals about half a billion rand. What happened was a gang called the Termite Gang had dug into tunnels underneath the bank. They made their way into the bank while it was undergoing renovations. And because nobody was really there at the time, they could take their time in emptying out those safety deposit boxes and they set a fire to make sure that their tracks were covered. Then in 2005 in Brazil, um, a group of robbers hired a property a few blocks away from the Banco Central in, uh, in the area of Fortaleza in Brazil. They took three months to dig a tunnel about 80 meters long, three meters under the ground, and they managed to dig through reinforced concrete into the bank, and they made away with about $70 million, about a billion rand worth of money. The interesting thing about these stories is that the incredible loss wasn't noticed while it was happening. Only a few days later was it noticed. You and I in our lives are at constant risk of the most valuable things in our lives gradually being stolen away from us, sometimes without us even realizing that it's taking place. Now, we know from the Bible that the, the devil's a bit of a kleptomaniac. The Bible says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He just can't help himself. It's what he does. But we can't blame him for everything. You know, many circumstances that we face in life feels like it's robbing us. It's taking something away from us. The, the most valuable parts of our lives can feel like they're slowly but surely being stripped away. You know, the, the three areas that I think are particularly risk or particular risk areas for us where we feel like these things take away from our most is, or take away from us most is anxiety, low self-esteem, and insecurities. If these things run rampant in our lives, it robs us of everything that is supremely valuable to us. Now in the Bible, the Apostle Paul is one of those people who simultaneously inspires me tremendously, but annoys me terribly. I want to read you a portion of scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and maybe you'll understand why I feel this way about him. It says in chapter 1, or verse 1 of chapter 6, working together with him then, that is the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, working with Christ Jesus for our benefit, working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It's a bit of a scary verse because it means that we can actually receive the grace of God in vain. Like what Pastor Vilma mentioned earlier, we can be churchians who come to church over the weekend, raising our hand during worship, seeing all the activity in church life. We can be professional Christians who are never actually impacted by the word of God and impacted by the presence of God. We should never receive the grace of God in vain. He goes on to say, um, for in this favorable time, I listened to you and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Verse is going pretty well so far. We put no obstacle in anybody's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Getting a little bit arrogant, Paul, but let's see where you're going. 
we commend ourselves by great endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hungers. Like, what are you, Paul, the poster boy for Christian virtue? Like, is this the standard that I'm supposed to be living my life according to? I mean, I stub my toe and I'm already doubting the goodness of the Lord. Am, am I supposed to live to this degree of, of Christianness? I, I don't know that I can do it. He goes on to say that we commend ourselves by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left hand through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. I mean, this whole kindness thing. I mean, I chose not to kick my dog this week and I think I fed them on Tuesday, but that's about as kind as I get sometimes. All these other virtues seem to be setting a standard that I don't know is humanly possible to reach. We're treated as imposters, yet we're true. As unknown, yet we're well-known. As dying and behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. I just get tired reading this scripture, let alone trying to find the emotional capacity to turn all these terrible situations into something that God can use for His glory. I get annoyed with Paul because how can he live in this realm and not be affected by the pain that he encounters? When I know of myself that when I encounter pain, it's hard. When I encounter anxiety or low self-esteem or insecurity, it rattles me. Bearing in mind that the apostle Paul faced all those things. He says in one of his letters that he daily feels the anxiety of the churches. He would have faced low self-esteem because people spoke about him saying, you're a very good speaker in your letters, but when you're in person, you know, you're really not that good of a speaker. There would have been insecurity as well because people compared him to the apostle Peter. So he, he faced all these things. And yet I'm the one who crumbles when if I think that I might have offended somebody in a small way because I looked at them in the wrong direction, I just crumble like a snowflake because I'm worried that somebody might not approve of me. Can anybody relate? <laughs> Why is it? that some people are able to go through beatings and imprisonments and riots and pain and face anxiety and insecurities and low self-esteem, but, but come through unscathed. Yet others, when they face these things, they just dissolve into nothingness. I think the answer is found in the shortest verse in the Bible. The shortest verse in the Bible is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, rejoice always. Now, I know what some of you Pharisees are thinking. You're thinking that the shortest verse in the Bible is actually John 11, verse 35, which says, Jesus wept. Well, actually, in the English version, that is the shortest verse in the Bible. In the Greek version, which is what the New Testament was written in, rejoice always is the shortest verse in the Bible. The shortest verse with the greatest impact. The Apostle Paul uses the word rejoice about 30 times in his epistles. He uses the word joy about another 24 times. There's gotta be something in that. Our capacity to rejoice, our capacity to have joy is the single thing that carries us through the most painful experiences in this world. How is it that some people can endure the loss of a spouse and yet still remain strong? How is it that others can face the loss of their children and still get through to the other side? 
what carries us through when we've lost our job, when we don't have money, what sees us through the other end of the most terrible trials in life? It is the joy that's not based on circumstances or happenings, but based on the conviction of who God is and what He says about our lives. What is the first thing that goes when we have anxiety or low self-esteem or poor or, or lots of insecurity? Joy. What is the thing that we desperately need to fight for? Joy. Today, I want to speak to you about arresting the thieves of joy. Thank you for that whoop whoop. Over the last year, we've been rattled by many tragic stories of suicide. It was around August last year when we heard of the pastor, Andrew Stokeline, who took his own life. About two months after that, we had one of our beautiful hospitality team who took her own life. We heard a few weeks ago of Jared Wilson, another pastor in the States who's taken his life. As I was preparing this message this week, there's another pastor in Zimbabwe who took his own life. How can it be that people who, who are supposed to be sharing joy are so overwhelmed themselves? Why is it that there's such an epidemic of suicide in this world? It's the men are four times more likely to commit suicide than women. In, in fact, with, with teenagers, it's one of the prevailing causes of death in teenagers. Why is there such an epidemic in this world? I think that one of the reasons is actually the flood of the abortion message that's going through the world. The message of abortionists says that if you know that a child is gonna get born into poverty, if the child is gonna be born with disabilities, if the child is conceived through rape or incest, abortion might be a good option for you. All that really does though, that narrative only ever states that if you are living with a disability, if you are living as a product of rape or incest, if you are living because um, you know, you, you, you're born into poverty, your life has less value than everybody else. How is that the truth? The Bible, the Bible that I read says every life, every person, no matter your background, no matter your history, no matter what you've gone through, every single life has value. If you're here today and you've had an abortion, my goal is not to offend or to bring condemnation to a topic that's already so difficult to process and I don't understand what brought you to that decision. I'm not trying to offend you, but I will risk offending people if it does help that one woman who's sitting here this evening trying to make that decision to land on the side of life. I'm so grateful that there are people in this world whose lives made it, even though the message of abortion says you don't deserve to live. I'm so grateful for Oprah Winfrey, who was born into a dirt poor family. Thank the Lord that she wasn't aborted because of her socioeconomic environment, because she's made a beautiful difference in in this world. I thank God for the heroes of apartheid who were born into less than ideal socioeconomic backgrounds, who's championed the cause of a race that people said is less than. I'm grateful that they took us out of that society. I'm grateful for somebody by the name of Eartha Kitt. She was conceived in rape. You know the song Santa Baby? That's her. She made something of her life, even though her beginning was rape. There's value in her life. I'm grateful for somebody like Nick Vujicic, who was born without arms and legs. Somebody in this day and age who doctors would say, oh, just abort that thing. No, I'm grateful that he's going all over the world, spreading a message of hope and life. 
But when the message is so pervasive that some lives have more value than others, is it a surprise that this rate of suicide is so high when the value placed on life is so low? No, we need to fight for our joy, church. We need to fight for what God says about the value of life, about who we are. We need to fight against the thieves of joy that wanna get us into a small place and get us into a place of being a victim. We need to fight for our joy. So today I wanna share with you just five simple points on how to arrest the thieves of joy. Is everyone still doing okay? Fantastic. Point number one, seek influence, not approval. Seek influence, not approval. All thieves of joy want to get us to a point where we're seeking approval from people. If I'm battling anxiety, please somebody tell me it's gonna be okay. If I'm battling insecurity, oh please somebody tell me that, that I'm actually, am I okay? Do you still like me? Are we still friends? If I'm battling a low self-esteem, I'm sorry, I said something, I'm not sure if it's okay that I said what I said, will, will you still love me anyway? No, whenever we are approval addicts, we become slaves of the people that we're trying to get approval from. Galatians 1 verse 10 says, for I am now, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Some people will just never, we will never please them enough. The story of two men who love to go hunting together, Bill and Bob, they love to go duck hunting and they'd always take their dogs along with them so that when they shoot down a duck, the dog would go run and grab the duck and bring it back. Well, Bill knew that Bob was particularly tough to please and to impress and one day he found a dog that could walk on water to go fetch the ducks. And so they went hunting one day and Bill had a particularly good day. He shot down 10 ducks and every time the dog would go running on the water, fetch the duck and come running on the water back and go running on the water and come back and running on the water and come back. And Bob didn't say anything for the whole trip. So at the end of the day, Bill said, well, Bob, did you notice anything special about my new dog? And Bob simply said, yeah, your dog can't even swim. It doesn't matter how good you are, how amazing you are, how miraculous your life looks, doesn't matter how far you've come in life, there will simply be some people who you will never be able to impress. We shouldn't live our lives trying to get approval and trying to, trying to make sure that somebody thinks that I'm doing okay. No, we should simply seek our approval from the Lord so that we can be an influence to somebody else. We as Christians are called to influence the world around us, to add to the lives around us, to, to build the lives around us. Now, influence and approval do have some overlap. Both, both want to engage with people. Both want favor with people. Influence and approval both want a response from people, but they're very different as well. Here are a few differences between approval and influence. Approval will perform for love. Influence is a pure form of love. It's a pure form of love because it says, doesn't matter who you are, I'm not, I'm not concerned about how I feel, I'm simply gonna try to better your journey. Approval gets value from action, but influence shows value in action. Influence understands, no, God has put value in my life and I'm not just gonna sit back waiting for somebody else to do the job, I'm gonna get involved, I'm gonna put my life in action. Approval lives with insecurity, but influence lives in security knows that my influence and my worth isn't based on what I do, it's simply based on who I am. So I'm gonna live securely in what the Bible says about me. I'm not gonna worry about what people say. Approval needs people, but influence leads people. We are all called to lead people around us so we can influence them so that they too may experience the joy that is available in the Lord. Point number two, you need to separate your intrinsic worth from your performance. Separate your intrinsic worth from your performance. 
Our intrinsic worth is the God-given worth conferred by God to us that cannot be changed by anything. By virtue of who you are as a child of God, your life matters. Your life matters. Every part of you, God wants to use you. God wants to do something with you. You may not be the person standing on a platform. You may not be the CEO of a massive company, but they have no more value than you. God wants to use you. He loves you. He's put value upon your life. It is not based on your performance. Now, performance is still important because you're not gonna get a raise at work because of your intrinsic value. No, you're gonna get a raise at worth because you've increased your performance. You've, you've done the MBA, you've worked hard, you've bettered yourself. There's a greater value that you can add to your company. That's why you will grow. And we need to make sure that we are growing our lives, but our intrinsic value is not found in our performance. And we must never cross the two because the moment your performance fails, then suddenly who you are will be in jeopardy. People are living their lives so driven by performance and I need to achieve, I need to achieve, I need to achieve, I need to achieve. And if they don't achieve, well, where does that leave you? No, God never designed us to get our worth out of what we do. What we do adds worth to other people, but our real worth comes from the Lord. We must never, ever cross those lines. You know, if you don't get that promotion, if you don't succeed in that area, if you don't make it through, if you do fail, and all those things will be encountered, we need to know that we've got an intrinsic value that will see us through nonetheless. Psalm 139 says, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. We should all be able to say, I'm wonderful. I'm awesome. I'm good. I'm, 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 a, I'm a fantastic piece of work. Sometimes our fantastic piece of work needs a little bit more work from time to time. But every single one of us should have the conviction that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't care what anybody else says about me. I'm awesome, and I'm going to stay that way. It doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter where your performance is. There's love for you. There's, there's grace for you, and there's something that God wants to do in your life. Point number three, you need to spring clean your self-talk. That hit home with somebody. Spring clean yourself talk. We recently did a bit of spring cleaning at home and it was wonderful um, because I live with two kids. One is two and a half, the other one's five. I managed to get food like this high on my wall. I don't know how it got there. I'm pretty sure it was one of them. But I've been peacefully coexisting with those things smeared in the wall for long enough and it was time for it to go away. So we scrubbed walls, we got into cupboards, we, we cleared away all the clutter, we wiped down every surface. And it was so nice just kind of stepping into the home and it just felt different. It didn't really look different because we're still tidy people and you know, every night we clear things away, we make sure everything goes back into the place. It's not like an extreme horror where we're like, oh, we actually have a floor, isn't that wonderful? No, no, it just, it felt different. The atmosphere felt different because everything was just clean. We need to do that with the way that we speak to ourselves. I wonder what the first thing is that you say to yourself when you encounter failure. Is the first thing that you say, I knew it. You're an idiot. What were you thinking? I mean, didn't you know that you weren't gonna get it right? I mean, come on, let's be real. Or when you see that girl and you're interested in her and you're like, oh man, I'd love to ask her out. But the first thought is, with that face and, and those clothes. Are you joking? She'll never go for somebody like you. 
or when that promotion opens up at work and, and you think, oh man, I'd so love to go step into apply, but your first thought is, no man, no, you're too small. You don't have the qualifications. You, never, you don't have the skill set to do it. No, no, just, just don't even bother. The way that we talk to ourselves can either lead us into joy or rob us of our joy. We need to spring clean our self-talk. I wonder if you've ever made a phrase like this or said a phrase like this in your life. I'm unloved and cannot be saved. I've got no hope for a purpose and when I fail, I will not get back up. I've fallen and I can't keep going because God is mad and isn't interested anymore. I'm done. No one wants anything to do with me. Well, I think that it's time that we did a little bit of Spring cleaning and just, just kind of get around and just do a little bit of washing up over here. And let's just kind of scrub. I don't need this word in my life. And I don't need phrases like this around. It's time to do a little bit of cleaning because I know that there's some things that I just should not be saying to myself. And let's tidy things up a bit. Let's just let's clear all this away. Okay. I'm loved and saved for a purpose. And when I fail, I will get back up and keep on going because God isn't done with me. It's time to clear away the words that are keeping us low and keeping us small. Church, I wanna, I wanna lay a challenge to you this week. If there's that promotion coming up at work, apply for it this week. If, if there's the girl that you've had your eye on, go ask her out on a date. Brush your teeth first and, and please shower. And if you do something weird, just don't tell them you come to Rivers. Because, but ask her out. Take the risk. When, when you fail, get back up again. Don't say, oh, no, I, know, I knew that I couldn't. No, say, I've learned another way that this doesn't work out well. Thank God for another learning opportunity. Stop speaking to yourself in such a negative and low way. It's time that we cleaned up our self-talk. Point number four, love yourself. Love yourself. The Apostle Paul was a terrible man before he got saved. He persecuted Christians, he killed them, he beat them up, he put them in prison. He was not a nice guy. But after he got saved, do we, do we see him lamenting his past? No. Do we see him sitting anxiously worrying about what people think about him and thinking, oh man, gosh, oh, I hope I didn't say the wrong thing? No. No, he was able to separate his past from his present and his future. He's even able to separate the failures of his present from his intrinsic worth. Romans chapter seven is a beautiful chapter of scripture where the apostle Paul says, the things that I wanted to, I want to do are not the things that I do. And the things that I don't want to do, well, those are the things that I keep on doing, the wretched man that I am, yet it is sin in me that does it. He was able to say that, hey, sin in me makes me want to do the wrong thing, but it doesn't change who I am and the worth that I have from God. We need that same kind of attitude in our own lives. We need to love ourselves. We need the theme song from The Greatest Showman that says, this is me. You may not like me, you may not agree with me. You may not like the way that I look or the way that I present myself, but this is me. This is how God made me. My ears are bigger. My hair is curly and weird. I've got a larger feet than I would like to have as a lady, but this is me. And I thank God for the way that he made me because he made me to be me. I will celebrate it. I will love it. I will accept it. And I'm gonna move forward. But the word love needs a bit of clarity, doesn't it? 
You see, the way that the world talks about love these days is that love means that if I love you, I need to accept you, condone you, celebrate you, agree with you and every single part of you because if I don't, then I'm hateful. Well, let's, let's apply that logic to other areas of life. If I say that I love my son and yet I see him running into traffic, I can't just say, oh, well, no, 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 he's just gonna go off to find himself. Bless him, I love him. He's, a, he's allowed to do whatever he wants to do. No, that is being hateful towards my child. If I love him and I see him doing something wrong, I'm gonna chase after him. I'm gonna yank him by the arm at the risk of dislocating his shoulder because I'd rather hurt him than see him get harmed. Real love for other people says, I will be willing to offend you. I'll be willing to hurt you if it's gonna save you from harm. I'll be willing to have conversations and to disagree with you. Love says that I will see what is the best in your future and help you to get there, even if it means helping you to remove certain things from your present, that is real love. But if we're gonna use the logic, if we're gonna use that logic on other people, we'd better use that logic on ourselves. We can't just say to myself, oh, well, I love myself so much. And I've got a tumor growing on my liver, but because I love myself, I'm not gonna put myself in a way where I get hurt. I'm gonna let my tumor grow. In fact, I've named my tumor Persephone. It, it identifies as a Sagittarius and we're peacefully coexisting. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna let anything take away a part of who I am. No, if you love yourself, you will cut out anything that is detrimental to your health. Just because it's something that you've got present in your life doesn't mean that you just let it run rampant. Some people are born with a predisposition to developing cancer. It doesn't mean that you let cancer take over your life. Some people are born with a predisposition to alcoholism or to sexual behavior. It doesn't mean that you just let that have its way with you. No, you do whatever is necessary to protect your life so you can step into the best future that you have. That is what it means to love yourself. If I truly love me, then I will be willing to let go of certain parts of me if it enables me to step into greater joy and a greater future. You know, the thought of loving ourselves is important when it comes to thieves of joy because if we let any aspect of ourselves run rampant in our lives that's contrary to the word of God, slowly but surely, our consciences will be, dull, will be dulled as our levels of guilt increase and we'll find more and more ways to justify why this kind of behavior is okay. And eventually we'll find ourselves in a place where we're so far away from God that coming back to Him is so painful and, and we jeopardize our chances of stepping into the future that He has for us. If we really want to deal and arrest, with, arrest the, the thieves of our joy, we need to love ourselves in a way where we're willing to confront ourselves, to identify and confront the victim behaviors that we might have, our, 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 our readiness and willingness to defend our favorite sin, our desire to hold on to certain aspects. You know, loving myself means that I'm willing to let go of certain parts of myself. My favorite verse in the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I think the apostle Paul is saying that where I am right now, I will love me because I know what it's taken for me to get over here. And I might not be where I want to go, but thank God I'm not where I was. And I worked really hard to get here. But as I look back, I can recognize it wasn't just my efforts, but the grace of God that carried me every single step of the way. It's as we partner with the Lord 
that we find the grace to love ourselves in a way that ushers us into greater, greater things. And finally, point number five, raise a hallelujah. If we want to arrest the thieves of our joy, we need to raise a hallelujah. The greatest weapon in the arsenal of a Christian is the capacity to praise. No matter what you're going through, no matter how much you don't feel like it, no matter what the circumstances around you are dictating to you, no matter what people say about you, to stand like Pastor Mormon was standing on every promise in the Word of God saying, Lord, you are good, you are faithful, you will come through. I can't see it, I can't believe it with conviction right now, but I'm gonna say it out, I'm gonna speak it out, I'm gonna trust you until I come through. Church, we need to be able to raise a hallelujah in the pain in the difficulty, in the anxiety, to raise a hallelujah, to be able to say, Lord, I will stand on who you are, even though who I am is weak and failing. I want you to read some of these lyrics to you over here. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder. You're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will rise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah, I will watch the darkness flee. I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. I raise a hallelujah, fear, you've lost your hold on me. Church, I want you to stand to your feet. We're gonna take a moment to praise. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, we're gonna sing again. Yes, we're gonna sing again. We're gonna praise until we believe it. If you're facing anxiety, if you're feeling like you're too small, if your self-esteem is very low, I want you to sing out. If there's depression, if there's pain, if there's worry for the future, I want you to sing out. If you don't know what's waiting for you tomorrow, if you've lost your job, if you've gotten divorced, I want you to sing out. With everything inside of us, church, let's raise a hallelujah as we give praise to God.
Come on, church, lift up your voice. Give God a shout of praise. Whatever waits for you tomorrow or outside the doors of this church, whatever relationship has failed, whatever you've done that you regret, I want to encourage you to leave tonight, not with hype, not with excitement, not with a spring in your step because, hey, I got my fill from church, but with a conviction that says at any single point, when I feel like life is not going my way, I'm going to raise a hallelujah and I'm going to keep on doing it until something inside of me changes. Praise is not a magic thing that suddenly makes your problems disappear. Praise is a powerful thing that helps you to realize that heaven is on your side and the victory is ours. It's a wonderful gift that God has given to us as believers. You know, speaking about thieves and robbers, a policeman is an interesting thing. And maybe you've heard this story before, but it bears, it bears repeating. A policeman, say, say a policeman who's maybe the metro police. We all love the metro police. If there's a cop standing on the road and there's a truck coming in front of him, driving down the road, all he needs to do is put out his hand and say, stop. And what's going to happen? The truck's going to stop. Does the truck stop because the policeman has the power within his body to stop the truck? He's not Superman. The truck stops because there's an authority that's been given to the policeman. He doesn't have the authority because he woke up one morning and says, hey, I want to be a policeman and I'm going to, I'm going to stand in the road and say, stop. No, the state has conferred on him the authority to do so. The same is true for us as Christians. We, in our own strength, don't have much power and capacity. But through Jesus Christ, we've been given authority in this world to, when it comes to sin, when it comes to the overwhelming barriers of difficulty to put out a hand and say, no, 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 you're not gonna overwhelm me. You're not gonna stop me. I've got greater authority inside of me from God the Father that says, I have got power to overcome this situation. It only comes through Jesus Christ. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.